It seems like it was just yesterday. It was actually November 11th of 2005. I remember standing at the kitchen sink in my house, my arms folded, leaning against the sink, talking to my wife and my daughters, and I got a phone call. I looked down, it was my sister. I picked up the phone and answered it, and all my sister said was, he's gone. And in that moment, I came face to face with the reality that at the age of 62, my best friend, my mentor, my hero, the best man at my wedding, my biggest fan, my biggest supporter, my dad, had passed from this life to the next, just like that. It's been 17 years, and I still miss him. Even right now, I, I wish he were listening to this message because he would be the first person I would call after the message and say, Dad, how'd I do? To this day, I wish I could dial his number and hear his voice. I would like to hear his voice sharing with me wisdom, insights. I'd like to talk to him about St. Louis Cardinals baseball and how terrible they are this year things they need to change and do differently. I wish I could hear his voice and hear the phrase I took for granted for so many years, the phrase, son, it's your dad. You know, we live in a world of pain, tears, and grief. I know it, you know it. More importantly, God, knows it. We're reminded of each night we watch the news as we watch the devastation and the horrific things that are happening in Afghanistan. As we see the damage and destruction from the earthquake in Haiti. As we look at the devastation of the COVID virus and the division it has caused in our country we see anger, we see homelessness, we see racial tensions. There's pain, there's tears, and there's grief. If I were to be honest, these last 18 months have been the most difficult months of leadership and ministry that I've ever had. It seems like every week there's a decision to be made and when you make those decisions, you know there's about half the people are not going to like the decision, half the people are going to like it. It's just the way it is right now. Yes, I've never thought about getting a tattoo. It actually has never crossed my mind. But lately, I've thought about it. <laughs> and here's what my tattoo would say. It'd be right across my chest. And the tattoo would simply say, beware. <laughs> Contents under pressure. <laughs> Let's pray. God, as we look around uh, our country we, and world, we do see a lot of pain and tears and grief. But God, we also realize you're still on your throne. You're still doing okay. And we need to lean into that. God, first, thank you for waking each of us up today. We know there are people who did not wake up this morning, but we did. And we're able to come here. We thank you for that, the freedom we have to come to worship you, to open your word. 
Father, we do pray for those in Afghanistan, those who are suffering, those who are hurting, those who are scared, those who are in danger. Father, we pray for the leaders. Father, they would gain some clarity and wisdom over how to handle that situation. Father, we pray for those in Haiti who not only are dealing with the devastation of their leadership change, but also the, the earthquake and just the damage and destruction. They didn't have much to start with. Father, we pray for our own country and just the division and the strife and things we see here. Father, right now we just put all those things aside and really just kind of quiet our minds for a few moments and ask now that you would speak to us. God, I pray you would speak through me. I know what I have planned to say, God. If that's not what you want me to say, then please put other words in my mouth. And Father, bless the ears that are here and help them to hear this messenger and the way you'd want those words to be heard and place these words upon their heart where you know that they need to be placed, God. Thank you for loving us, God, no matter what we do. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dudley realized in his calendar, you know, he plans this whole calendar a year in advance, like he's already planned 2022, and he had planned this weekend in this series, and his, he knew he was coming back last weekend to kick off this series, but he also knew that this weekend was the weekend that the Senator Manny Pacquiao was going to be fighting in Las Vegas, and for those of you who don't know it, Manny calls this church his home when he's here in the States, and he's been coming the last several weeks and Dudley's always committed to, when he's asked, to go and do chapels at the fight, believe it or not. So this past week, Dudley was torn. He wanted to be here. He loves you all very much and feels a responsibility to be here. But he knew he should be there, too, because they do chapels. Again, they're doing chapels in the MGM Grand. They did them Thursday night, they did them Friday night, and they're doing them right now. In the arena at the MGM Grand today, they took communion. They had our half our worship team is there. They did worship, and they're hearing your pastor proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And many of those, the thousands are there. You know, they came to see Manny, to be honest. They came to be around Manny, but they're going to hear the gospel. And um, we can clap for that. So when he knew he was torn, he called and he said, Tim, is there any way you could preach that weekend? He goes, I just feel like you know, they know you well, and I feel bad being gone. Could you do that? And I said, what's the topic? And he said, morning. I said, no. <laughs> that was my first reaction. But I've been the executive pastor here for 29 years. I've known Dudley for 36 years. And my job as executive pastor is to try to, to free him up as much as possible to preach, to cast vision, and really just concentrate on those two things and to allow them to do things like going to Las Vegas and preaching. So I knew I should do it, so I agreed to do it. But I gotta admit and confess to you that every morning my prayer has been, since that day, my prayer has been, God, I don't want any more illustrations on morning. I'm good, I don't need any more examples about morning. That's been my selfish prayer to God. So instead of giving more examples about morning, he really, surprisingly changed my view about the passage we're going to look at. I had known this verse my entire life and always thought it meant one thing, and I realized today that 
I don't think that's what it means. And I'm going to try to explain that to you this morning. Again, we kicked off a series last week called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. These Beatitudes are the beginning of Jesus, what's called Sermon on the Mount. And these Beatitudes, you can think of them, think of them as right attitudes. Right attitudes we should have as Christians. Right attitudes we should have as Christians. Another way to think of them is values or or virtues, maybe, that should be present in each of us if we call Jesus our Lord. And as we go through these over the next couple of weeks, you'll notice the first four, they have to do with our relationship with God. The first four have to do with our vertical relationship with God. The last four deal with our horizontal relationships with each other. I heard someone one time explain the Beatitudes with an illustration. He actually brought a ladder out on the stage, and he brought the ladder out, and he said you can think of the Beatitudes as steps on a ladder. And there are kind of a progression to them. And again, step one we looked at last week. Pastor Dudley talked about being poor in spirit. Realizing we are nothing, and we have nothing without God. We are bankrupt. And we realize no matter how good we are, we cannot get to God. So in this first beatitude, think of it as the first step on the ladder. God comes near to us. To a place where we can meet him. To a place where we can all say we are poor in spirit. Another thing Dudley mentioned last week were the people who were there to hear this message. They weren't the, the, they weren't the spiritual elite. They weren't the religious elite people of that day. That wasn't who was there. It was the disciples who went everywhere with him. And it was the crowd. All often the Bible talks about the crowd. The crowd were generally thousands of people who followed Jesus to hear him or to be healed. They were common people just like you and me. They were people who were hurting. They were people who were tired. There were people who were brokenhearted. That is who the audience was listening to this message. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And we're going to look at the second beatitude. And again, you can think of the second beatitude as being the second step step on the ladder. But you can't get to the second step without getting to the first step. And the first step was, again, admitting we are nothing without God. So verse 4, blessed. It starts out blessed. Remember, Dudley said, another word for blessed, you could put the word happy. Happy and blessed mean the same thing. Happy, it's a, it's a contentment, it's an inner joy. So happy are those who mourn. Ha- happy are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Now, try to picture yourself on the mountainside that day. I'd try to picture myself there. I probably would have been toward the back, straining to hear. And when Jesus said these words, happy are those who mourn, I would have admittedly looked confused. I would have been thinking, what the heck? I probably would have hit my friend. I call my friend Coop. We all need a friend like Coop. If you don't watch All American, you won't understand that. You should watch All American teach you a lot. I'd say, Coop, did he just say what I think he just said? Did he just say, happy are those who are sad? Because that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Happy are those who are sad? How how can that be? I mean, who's going to be happy when they're sad? Really? 
Who, who feels blessed when they're mourning? And so that's what I wrestled with. How can you be happy and get sad at the same time? Well, God, what God has shown me this week is there's different types of sorrow. There, there are different types of mourning. The first one, let's just call natural mourning. It's the one we most often think about and think about when we think about this verse. We think about natural mourning. This is the sorrow. This is the natural sorrow that we, that we have when we lose something or lose someone that we care about. God gives us something or gives us someone, then they're suddenly taken away, and we feel sorrow. We feel sorrow. That something could be a job, could be a, a possession, could be a relationship, could be your health. It could be a number of things. Something is taken from us, and it brings us sorrow. I remember years ago, I got a, a brand new Infiniti M35. I dreamed of this car, and I finally got this car. I remember the day I got it, my wife and I, we had a wedding we had to go to. We went to the wedding. Then we rode in the car to the reception. She got out and started inside, and I didn't get out. She said, what are you doing? I said, I just want to sit here for a while in my car. <laughs> I sat there for an hour and 15 minutes. This car had 24 Bose speakers in it. Had incredible air conditioning. The seats were like pillows. I just loved just sitting in that car. God had given me that car. A few days later, I was driving down um, and getting on the 101 freeway at Winnetka. I was getting on the 101 freeway. I was getting on Winnetka, and I rear-ended, I mean bad. I smashed into the back of a car. And folks, I had sorrow. Not that I'd hit the person, that didn't bother me too much, but that I'd damage that car. I mean, I mourned, I mourned for weeks over that car. I'd lost something that was important to me. You know, when I do communion up here, sometimes I'm walking off the stage and I look at the thing. Um, right, right, right there. <laughs> Speaking of losing something, there's this spot I used to have hair. You don't believe me, I brought a picture just to prove it. I mean, look at that hair. Put aside the fact that I was skinny once, okay? It's got nothing to do with the story. But I had great hair. I, I used to have to blow dry my hair. I spent a long time blow drying my I used to put product on my hair. And now when I smell that product, I'm sad. I, I mean, I'm mourn. I'm being honest with you. Dudley may think bald is beautiful. I don't. And I mourn not having my hair. You know, my some things I've talked about are kind of funny. Your some things you lost may not be funny. Or maybe it's not something, maybe it's someone. Maybe your natural sorrow is because you've lost someone. I told you at the beginning of the story, I lost my dad. It's hard. People would always say, oh, Tim, time changes everything. No. Death changes everything. Time doesn't change nothing. I still miss him 17 years later. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus understands natural mourning. John eleven thirty five, 35, the Bible says, Jesus wept at his friend Lazarus' gravesite because he cared about him. 
Another place, Luke 19.41 says, Jesus wept as he looked out over the city because he loved and cared for them so much. Jesus understood natural mourning. Weeping, grief, sorrow, it's natural. Crying, it's part of our natural process in our body. Grief is a gift God's given us. It allows us to release some pressure that if we wouldn't release, it would become toxic in our lives. Pain permits healing. If you're in that season of grief right now, we have a ministry called Grief Share. There's something in your bulletin about it just for people going through that season of loss. Make no doubt about it. God gives comfort in natural times of mourning. And the life group lesson, hopefully you're in a life group, Victor is gonna talk a lot about this week, the natural mourning and how God brings comfort in those moments. But I, I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. I don't think that's the type of mourning that Jesus is referring to. I always assumed that in the past. I, that's why I always assumed this was about, I'm just kind of like, oh, cool, whatever. Blessed are those who mourn. Doesn't make sense, but whatever. But until I really thought about this message, and I've thought about it a lot this week, I don't think that's what he was talking about. You can't make sense out of happy are those who lose someone, happy are those who mourn. Again, these beatitudes I mentioned earlier, they're qualities. They're, they're, ver- they're things we should pursue the right attitudes that we should pursue in our lives. There's things we should go after and that we should strive for. Don't, don't you think we all should have purity of heart? We should all go after purity of heart. Don't you think righteousness is something good for us to pursue? Shouldn't we all desire meekness? And Lord knows we need more peacemakers in the world today. As Christians, we need to strive to be peacemakers. Now, for those of you who know how the Beatitudes end, there's the last one, persecution. Obviously, that's not one we seek after, but it's the result of having the others. But all these Beatitudes are things we need to go for in our lives, we need to strive for, and have as much of it in our lives as we can. But natural sorrow? That type of sorrow doesn't fit into this category. It's not something I think Jesus would tell us to go after. Think about it. Nobody who has ever lost anybody said, hey, give me some more of that. That's what I want to strive for. No. No. Remember I said there are different kinds of sorrow and mourning. Let's look at a different one, another one. It's found in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Paul's talking here. I want to look at the last half of the verse. The last half of the verse, he says, But worldly sorrow brings death. So there's a second type of sorrow, a worldly sorrow. There's a natural sorrow, there's a worldly sorrow, and a worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow has many forms, but probably it's most often found in someone longing for something that God has not given them. And then they're sad, and they have sorrow because God gave it to somebody else. It's the sorrow of a man or a woman who can't satisfy their lust. They feel this worldly sorrow. It's the sorrow of a person who's jealous of what their friends have. They have this sadness, this sorrow, this worldly sorrow. And it starts at a very young age. I mean, who hasn't seen a child playing with other kids and they want the toy the other kids have? They have 35 toys themselves, but they want that one toy that they don't have. And unfortunately, it stays with us into adulthood. There are several examples of this in the Bible, great examples. 
One of them, Caleb Kaltenbach, Pastor Caleb unpacked for us a couple weeks ago, the story of David and Bathsheba. David had sorrow because of his lust, and he wanted something, in this case Bathsheba, that wasn't his to have. And we know how it ended. It ended up with him killing for that sorrow, for something someone else had. Another great example, and I don't have time to read the whole story, but I'll I'll summarize it for you, is the story of King Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel. He He had a kingdom, he had a palace, but just outside the boundaries of that palace, there was this poor man by the name of Naboth, and Naboth had a little bitty vineyard there outside the palace. And the Bible tells us that the king, King Ahab, with all he had been given and all he had, he had his eyes set on that vineyard and his heart on Naboth's possession. You can read about in 1 Kings 21, Ahab became sad. Ahab became angry. You could say he began pouting. He was mourning because he wanted something that God had not given him. It said he was sulking. He would not eat for days. He had worldly sorrow, and ultimately it led to the death of Naboth. The world is full of that type of mourning and sorrow. Another word we use for it is coveting. Setting our hearts on what God has given somebody else. Then we mourn and we have sorrow because we don't have it and we want it. I think social media has made this even worse because then we want things that aren't even true. Trust me, there's a filter on that picture of that family. (laughs) Worldly sorrow can't possibly be what Jesus is talking about in this passage, can it? He can't talk about worldly sorrow bringing you comfort. That's not something we should pursue and go after So if it's not natural sorrow, if it's not worldly sorrow, what is it? Well, look at the verse, look at the beginning of the same verse. Paul says, godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads us to salvation and leaves no regrets. Godly sorrow, which brings what? What's the word? Repentance. So we conclude from that, the sorrow is over what? Our sin. That's what the sorrow is over, our sin. Repentance leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now, doesn't that sound like sorrow that we should pursue, that we should go after? Godly sorrow is simply being sorry because you've sinned. Being sorry because you have sinned against God Verse three, again, that we looked at last week, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That is really the the head, the, the intellectual part of this. Understanding that we're poor in spirit. It's an intellectual thing. It's, a, it's an understanding of that we are poor in spirit. This beatitude is the emotional part of it. It's the feeling sorry. It's the sorrow for our sins. First, your mind realizes, understands that you're a sinner and you need a savior and that you're bankrupt and then your emotion takes over and your heart and you mourn your bankruptcy. 
And this verse tells us that that mourning then leads to repentance. I heard a teacher, heard about a teacher one time, she's a fourth grade teacher, and she asked her kids, what does it mean? What does repentance mean? She asked these fourth graders, what does repentance mean? One little boy raised his hands and he said, it means you're sorry for something you did. He sat back down. About that time, a little girl raised her hand and said, no, it means being sorry enough that you quit doing it. <laughs> She's right. You see, repentance, really, you've heard this before, means a change in direction. You are going this direction and sinning, and then you repent. You completely turn around and you go this direction. So you're sinning, and you admit your sin. You say, I don't want to do that anymore, and you turn and you start going this direction. That's what repentance is. You don't want to do it again. You're repenting. And I know it's difficult sometimes, but here's why it's difficult. You're walking this way, and you repent, and you go this way, but the whole time you're repenting, you're looking back. And you're looking back. It doesn't work that way, folks. It doesn't work that way. Repentance means to turn. And listen. I know a little bit about sin and repentance, okay? I've got some cred in this area. I will never claim to be a theologian or a Bible scholar, but I do know a thing or two about sin. Matter of fact, this week as I worked on this message, um, Satan kept reminding me throughout the week about some sins I still have. Don't tell anybody else, but I do. But Satan kept saying, you got, you got issues, you got sins. You shouldn't be the one, you shouldn't be the one standing up on that stage. And he kept saying it over and over and over. Finally, I, I was praying and said, God, I, I, I don't know if I'm the one to be up here on the stage talking about this. God, I've got issues. And I heard God very clearly say to me, no, I can use you. I, I can use your issues. So, so if you don't like the messenger, you can thank God or blame God or blame Dudley. Either one works for me. Just don't blame me. But I think one of the reasons I still struggle with some sins is because I don't have godly sorrow. I don't have godly sorrow in that particular sin, that particular area. You know why sometimes we don't have sorrow? Sometimes we don't have godly sorrow because the reason we stopped a particular sin was because we got caught. Because we got busted. We got found out. We didn't stop because of godly mourning. We stopped because we got caught. The funny thing about that is we know God knows. That doesn't bother us. But when other people find out, it causes us to stop. I don't know what it is about that, but. But folks, that's not godly sorrow. That's, that's plain old regret. It's more of an uh-oh sorry, not a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance, and that leads to salvation, and that leaves no regret. Listen, happiness, the blessing, happiness is not in the morning itself. That's not the blessing. The happiness, the blessing, is in what God does in response to our mourning. And what God does to our, in response to our godly sorrow, it leads us to repentance. It leads to life. It leads to freedom. That's the comfort we all desire and long for.
Godly sorrow is actually very simple. It's really simple. But it's something we often struggle with. And I have at times in my life. Some of you know my story. I, I was raised in a Christian home. I, I was raised in the church. I came to know Christ at a very young age. I was baptized. I was seven years old. So you see all the dumb things I've done? All the sins I've committed pretty much are after knowing who Jesus is. I know some of your stories are you did some dumb things and bad things, and then you became a Christian, then everything's great. That's not my story. I wish it was my story, but I've done a lot of bad things after knowing who Jesus was because I didn't have godly sorrow. <laughs> I remember in college, probably, you know, college was my craziest years, but I remember so many times at college being someplace doing something and saying, Jesus, I know you're coming back, but don't come back right now. <laughs> I didn't have godly sorrow. I had absolutely zero godly sorrow. Was I saved? Yes, I was saved. Was I living in freedom? No, I wasn't living in freedom. I was not living in repentance. I was not comforted. Second, Timothy 2.19 says, the Lord knows, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must, must turn away from wickedness. In other words, if you're gonna put on the jersey, the team jersey for Team Jesus, you must turn away from wickedness. You see, this verse talks about action. Repentance isn't just words. Repentance involves action. The verse says, turn away from wickedness. Turn away, not just talk about turning away, but truly turn away. You need to turn away, and that part takes action. I don't know what turning away looks like for you. I can't tell you what turning away looks like for you. I can tell you what it looks like in my life. Turning away means there's some places I can't go to anymore. Turning away means there's some things I can't watch anymore. Turning away means there's some people I can't be with anymore. And it means taking action and setting myself up for success when temptation comes my way. And again, in my life, I've put some little reminders in my life that mean nothing to anybody else. I wear my dad's wedding ring is one thing I do. It's my dad's wedding ring. And when I see that ring, I'm reminded of the husband, the father, the man I'm supposed to be. And when I don't meet that, I have godly sorrow. It reminds me what the standard is. I've got a necklace I wear. It's got a word on it. I don't even tell you what the word is. But when I, when I think about this necklace, and it reminds me of a godly sorrow in my life. I have a rubber band that I often have on my wrist, and uh, people just think I put it up, but actually, it's there for a purpose. And what it is, every so often, I will snap it. You ever see my wrist and it's really red? You know I've been snapping a lot, because it hurts when I snap it. But I snap it when I'm faced with the temptation, because one, the pain, I associate the pain with the temptation, but two, it takes me back to two places that remind me of godly sorrow. One is 1985, Des Moines, Iowa. I just got out of college and had a job back there, and a friend of mine, his name was Daryl Davis, he invited me to go to a cookout. 
I had no parties that night lined up, so I said, okay, I'll go to the cookout. I went to this cookout to find out at the cookout, it was a cookout for a high school ministry of a church called Exciting Westside. And this church had this pastor with the strangest name, his name Dudley. <laughs> and I went to this campfire, this high school ministry from Westside Church, and what happened that night was we sit around this campfire and these kids, these high school kids, proceeded to godly mourn their sins and confess and acknowledge some camp experiences. And I remember that night as if it was yesterday. I remember that night when I snapped this bracelet. I remember telling Daryl, I used to be like that. My sin used to bother me like that. And that next week, I went to Exciting West Side, that Pastor Dudley's church, and rededicated my life. That was 36 years ago this Tuesday. And I've been walking with God in sorrow. The other date I think about when I snap this band is I think about the year 2004, and I, it takes me back to the Winnetka Theaters over here. You've been to Winnetka Theaters. One evening, I just finished watching a movie called The Passion of Christ. And I remember vividly when that movie ended thinking, I am never going to sin ever again my entire life because it so graphically portrayed the, the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through for my sin. And I had godly sorrow. So when I snapped this bracelet, it reminds me of those two things. It takes me back there. Listen, godly sorrow is not just a checkbox you check off one time. The godly sorrow, been there, done that. It's continual. It's consistent. Because my experience is Satan's pretty continual and pretty consistent. If you've not found yourself running into Satan lately, you might want to make sure you're not going the same direction. Godly sorrow is more than just believing in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus, believes everything about Jesus. It's not just believing in Jesus. You see, when Christ enters a life, he comes not only to forgive, but to make you holy. He accepts you where you are, but his grace will not leave you where you are. There are many people who, quote, accept Jesus, and they say the prayer without ever bowing their knee to the lordship of Christ in their life. That lordship will bring godly sorrow. Let me close with this. God's plan, it's very simple. We make it complicated, but it's actually very, very simple. God's plan is very simple. First, recognize you've sinned. We talked about that a lot last week. First, recognize that you've sinned, that you're poor in spirit, and you cannot save yourself. You need Jesus. The second we talked about today, we need to have remorse. Be genuinely sorrowful for our sin. Sometimes we get hung up on this second step, and here's the reason. We get hung up here because we tend to deny our sin. Oh, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. God knows that you know. Or the second thing is we try to rationalize our sin. Yeah, I did that, but my parents. Yeah, I did that, but my wife. Yeah, I did that, but my friend. No, don't rationalize your sin. The last thing we do is we try to minimize it. My sin only impacts me. It's just a little sin. It's just me and my computer. Nobody's impacted. Sin always affects others. Don't minimize your sin. 
mourn your sin. Don't, don't, don't minimize, don't, don't deny, don't rationalize. Don't give Satan the satisfaction. Just, just come clean. Just come clean. Mourn your sin. Mourn the fundamental flaw in your character that causes you, compels you to think or do the wrong things. Mourn that part in you that consistently takes you in the wrong direction. Mourn those things. Because blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. God, thank you again for the opportunity to be up here this weekend. I don't feel worthy, God, but I'm just trying to be obedient. Father, take the words I've said or maybe the words I haven't said and put them in the hearts and the ears and the minds of those here that need to hear it. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place today who has never bowed their knee and called on you to be their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray this week would be the week they would do it, God, that they would quit saying one of these days because one of these days we know becomes none of these days. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised this afternoon. So I pray, God, if you've spoken to anybody's heart here today about maybe they need to be baptized, maybe they need to repent and just talk to someone about repentance, confess, whatever need that is, God, may you give them the courage and the time to come and talk to one of our counselors today, God. Again, thank you for letting us be here, and we thank you for your word, which speaks so clearly to us, God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two more things I'll chatter. Please, 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 don't walk to your car if God's telling you to walk to those doors. There are people over here that if you've got a decision, if God's impressed something upon your heart, they will talk to you about it. So don't walk to your car if God's telling you to walk to those doors. The second thing is, next week, Pastor Dell will be back. And he'll be back and continue this series through the Beatitudes, continue to pray for them and their service they're having right now. I love you. God bless you. And have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks for being here.